Please listen carefully. What's up, y'all? It's so great to be talking to y'all again. This is this is fun. This is a blast. So excited for basketball. Welcome back, guys, to uh, a return from a long sabbatical, I guess I'll put it, uh, from the Heard It Here Sports Podcast. I think that's what I settled on as the name. Heard It Here Sports Podcast. I am the proverbial herd. Uh, my name's Cooper Herd. Glad that y'all are listening, all three of my listeners. Um, whoever at, was subscribed to this is going to be real surprised to see this pop up on their feed. I'm sure half of y'all aren't going to remember who I am, um, and the other half are probably my parents. So that's fine, though. It, I'm just excited to talk about basketball again. We're a few weeks out from the NBA season. Uh, got to see some preseason games the last week or so. I've just been really, really excited to start watching basketball again and it feels like i'm just excited enough that it feels like a good time to start talking basketball uh i kind of missed it you know this is always a lot of fun today i decided the best way to launch into things is just do a little bit of i don't want to say projections but some forecasting which is kind of the same exact word but you know just looking ahead a little bit at this nba season uh taking a little bit of a macro look at all the teams uh and today what i decided to do was I'm doing my top three burning questions for the Eastern Conference teams in the NBA. I decided to rank this by going, I have a rough list of how I think teams are going to finish, which, just a caveat, especially in the East, really difficult to rank the teams this year. I mean, there's just, there's no teams that I look at and say they're just hopeless. Uh, In the West, it's a little bit different. I think the Spurs, the Thunder, uh, the Rockets, a little bit less so, but... You know, the, the Jazz, I think, are just teams that have clear goals of losing as much as possible this year and ha- don't really have any incentive to fight for the play-in. But I think most of the teams in the East, in fact, I would say all the teams in the East, um, even the teams I have projected outside the play-in, I think they have a real chance of making the play-in. Um, I think there's a chance that some of these teams are going to come in and a, a guy or two is just going to be a lot better, a lot sooner than we expected, and they're just going to say, oh, well we've got a chance to fight for the play-in. Like, we're not going to sit our 21-year-old superstars because we want to lose too much. So I, I just I think there's a chance that this is going to be a really competitive league and, you know, somebody's going to be at the bottom. But I had a really hard time figuring out who even the the obvious tanking teams were. I think, I think we're going to have a much clearer view around December, January, um, and certainly by the time the trade deadline resolves. But... Right now, like there's not a team, there's not a single team in the East that I would say just looks hopeless. Everybody's at least got enough talent that if they had a good start to the year, they could convince themselves that they could make the plan and even win into the playoffs. Um, but someone's got to be at the bottom, and this year, I, I decided to play a little conservative. Went with the the team that finished last in the East last year. Uh, your number one overall pick bearing Orlando magic. Yeah. They brought in Palo this year. I think they're going to have, I think, I think they're going to be a really fun team. I don't think they're going to be 
uh, unwatchable by any means. And that's, I think, another really big thing is none of these teams are unwatchable. Even, again, the Spurs, the Jazz, like, I'm excited to watch Colin Sexton. I'm excited, you know, Spurs are probably the one team where I don't, can't really find much of anything. But even them, like, I like Kilton Johnson, you know. I'm excited to see if Trey Jones can do something. It'd be cool to see if Josh Primo really is a point guard. Um, all these teams have guys that are worth watching and I think are going to be competent enough teams that any given game that you want to watch, which there's too many games to watch all of them or even really follow that many different teams. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of entertaining basketball this year. I think basketball is just, the, or the NBA is in a really healthy place as far as the talent distribution. Not to mention, I mean, I mean obviously there's uh, some great stacked teams towards the top but even the you know the so-called bad teams, I think they're a lot better than the bad teams from the last you know from ten years ago or fifteen years ago. There's not any Charlotte Bobcats from the early days of that franchise, um, which is promising and just really fun to see as a, as a fan of the league. Um, but like I said, Orlando Magic are the team I'm slotting in the bottom slot this year. I really do think there's a chance that again I, they were 17th in defensive rating last year. There's a chance that they're a top 15 defense this year. Um, you know, bringing in Paolo, I know they're going to probably play him 35 minutes a game if they can. He's not necessarily a good defender. I would imagine he's probably going to be a below average defender for the power forward position, uh, which I expect him to play. But I think there's a good chance that they're a solid defense and he might bring their offense. They might be out of the bottom five in offense, which would be crazy. Uh, would be kind of crazy actually because they were again they were 30th in offense last year um, and I think they were a pretty healthy 30th I don't think that's a particularly surprise to anybody uh, I think they probably earned that 30th in offensive rating but I think this is an exciting team and you know the questions I've got like they're they're pretty optimistic questions um, the number one burning question I've got for the Orlando Magic for the upcoming NBA season pretty I would say this is not going to be a surprise to anybody. Um, and I wish I had a better way to phrase this, but it's just, it's, it's too good. Is Paolo Bancaro the guy? Is he the guy, the quote unquote guy? Is he the guy that you're building your team around for the next 15 years? Is he the guy that sells the jerseys that gets posted on the, uh, the stadium? Um, is he the guy at your brochures? Is he the guy that does your interviews? Uh, I don't know if all those work, but uh, is he your hope for the future? I, th I think there's a good chance he is. And anytime you take a guy with the number one overall pick, anytime you take a guy with the top three pick, you're expecting, if not, um, if not, you know, just hoping that they are going to be that guy, the guy that can bring your franchise out of the bottom three of the lottery, the guy that's going to take your team back into the playoffs. I think Paolo's got a really good chance of that. And I think a lot of how this season is going to be viewed by Orlando Magic fans, by their general managers, um, by the ownership as well, I, I think it's going to be a matter of how good does Paolo look, and specifically on offense, specifically even more so as a creator of offense. Because he is a six foot 250-pound guy with legitimate guard skills. He's a pretty good shooter. I think he's going to turn out to be a really good shooter. Um, maybe less so as like a catch and shoot. I don't, I don't know that he's going to be a 40% catch and shoot three point guy, but I think he's going to be a guy that has a really good pull up game, especially a pull up mid range game. Uh, but he's got one of the best 
handles, but some of the best ball skills I've ever seen for a guy that tall. Um, in fact, it's funny. It, 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 the Magic played him some at the three in, um, I think, preseason. Maybe not as much in summer league, but I, I think he's a guy that can legitimately play some at the small forward position. I think he's going to be best at the power forward, but he is closer to being sort of that small forward, power forward hybrid than I realized coming out of college, for sure. Um, I think a big question that I'm going to have is, can he model his game to be a little bit closer to some of those big wings as opposed to more of a forward slash center type? I, I think he's got a chance of sort of modeling his game after Jason Tatum. Like, Paolo's a pretty fluid athlete. He's a, you know, solid, like, leaping athlete. He's, you know, fine laterally, I think, and um, top speed-wise. But he's a pretty fluid guy. And, again, his, his dribbling and just his ball skills in general are so so high level for a guy that size. And I think Paul George is probably a little bit rosy of a comparison. I think Jason Tatum is a little bit more apt. I think Jason Tatum's um, probably a slightly better athlete than Paolo, but I think Paolo is pretty close as an athlete. And I'm, I'm interested to see how, how much of Paolo's game can be sort of mid-range creation. I think that's one of the things that Tatum was really known for in college and Coming out into the pros, I think he, he had that season where he was shooting 40% from three as a rookie on the Celtics, and they made the conference finals. That was the Kyrie year, the Gordon Hayward uh, injury year, I believe. Um, so I think we kind of think of him more as a three-point shooter now, but he's still a great mid-range player. I think he, he can absolutely get off threes, and he gets off plenty of them, but um, I'd be really interested to see how Paolo works in the mid-range as sort of a pull-up guy, uh, putting his back to somebody and trying to get to the rim. Um, he certainly just, again, he's got so many ball skills that I think it's going to be, uh, I think a lot of what his game's going to be predicated on is breaking this guy down, drawing help, and making the open pass. I don't necessarily see him as some crazy Magic Johnson level passer, but, you know, if he can figure out how to make quick, decisive, smart passes uh, when he draws help or gets some sort of hedge, I, I think there's a really good chance that he is. Again, quote unquote, the guy, you know, the primary offensive creator on a average to above average offense, which, you know, not everybody's going to be able to be the best player on a championship team. You don't have to be, even as the number one pick. I think if you can be the best player on an average to above average offense as your primary, as the primary creator of your offense, like that's huge. That's great. If, if you get that with a number one overall pick, you, you succeeded. You know, that's not a failure at all. Um, and I, I think he's got a good chance of doing that, but that's going to be by far the biggest question for the Magic this year, at least in my opinion. Uh, the number two question I've got this year, uh, this is a guy that they drafted last year, uh, looked pretty awesome, looked even better in the Euro League, uh, sorry, in Eurobasket, um, Franz Wagner. He looked a lot better than he did at Michigan, at least in that uh he had a couple of tournament games where he really struggled. I think Florida State was the team that eliminated him where he just had some some brutal shots. I think he like airballed a couple of three-pointers. He looked just like a completely dependent offensive player. His defense didn't look particularly good. He just looked skinny. Um, he looked just not very mentally tough uh, to throw out some cliches, you know, especially with the European players. It's always a little tough to throw out something like that but I think that was the thought coming into the draft and he ended up still getting taken eighth overall so he didn't particularly drop in the draft at all but 
he really proved this past year that, oh, no, he's a real lottery pick. He's a real shooter. He's a real, to an extent, creator with the ball. Uh, and he's a real defender, too. I mean, this guy's 6'10". He's got pretty long arms. Like, he covers ground while he moves well. Um, the biggest question I have with Franz for this upcoming year, I, I feel like we know where the floor is. Like, he's always going to be a good shooter, a good passer. He's going to be a good glue guy. You know, if he's the fourth or fifth best player on your team, that's a fantastic sign. What I want to know is how much of an on-ball creator is Franz and what kind of offensive player can he develop into? You know, can he be the second best offensive player on your team, the third best offensive player on your team, and then also be, you know, a real impact guy on the defensive end? Uh, I think it's a little derivative to just break down basketball of these two things, but I think the two biggest things I'd look for for Franz this upcoming season are three-point volume and three-point shooting success. Uh, last year he shot 3.43s per game and hit 35% of them. Um, and then his at-the-rim. I'm not necessarily worried about seeing him, like, bring the ball to the floor, sit there for five seconds dribbling and break down his defender. Um, you know, I, I, I am... My question is, how much of an on-ball creator is he? But some of that can be, you know, can you attack in an advantage situation or can you be the second guy on the offense that gets the ball swung to him? Um, those are kind of, kind of the same thing. But I, I think he's got a good chance. You know, one of the things that struck out stuck out to me, you know, he's, I think we all know that he's a good shooter. Again, 35% um, is fine, but that's not necessarily a huge concern. I, I definitely would like to see him shoot some more going forward. But... I think one of the things that stuck out to me is he's an 86% free throw shooter. Um, only shot 2.8 per game. I think if he could get up to, you know, shooting five, six, seven free throws per game, that would be a huge, huge thing for him. And he's got, I think, the ball skills to do it. Um, I think he's also got the ability to pass out of drives. So I think those are the two things I'd really look for for him as an offensive creator. Um, my third question for the Magic ties into both of my first two questions. Uh, and again, I've got the Magic slated as the worst team in the East this year. Don't feel confident about that whatsoever. But I would be pretty surprised if the Magic weren't picking the lottery. And even then, probably in the top 10. Uh, not to mention they've got the Chicago Bulls pick, as long as it's not in the top four. So there's a real chance that you get a second lottery pick from the Bulls. Um, you know, it, Or at the very least, you know, a top 20 pick, I think, is almost guaranteed. So one of the biggest things I think... The Magic are already looking at, I'm sure they're already looking at this. Teams in that position, just they, they're going to be looking ahead this far. Uh, who in the 2023 draft pairs well with Franz and Boncaro going forward? I think what I landed on, um, you know, those guys are both sort of forward creators. They've got some pretty good depth at center. And, you know, uh, with where I'm projecting the Magic to pick, I don't know if you really want to be going for centers, unless, of course, you can get Wimbanyama, which would be pretty amazing uh, for literally any team, but that would be quite wild to see Franz, Boncaro, and Wimby all on this same team. That's some real size in your front court, um, and you can do a lot at the two guard spots if you got that. But the thing that I was really looking at, again, other than Wibinyama, um, I think they're probably going to be looking for a guard. You know, I still, I, I believe in Jalen Suggs. I think Jalen Suggs would be great. I really like Cole Anthony, too. Uh, I'm actually not very surprised he had a big second year. Um, he was a guy that, you know, didn't have the greatest time at UNC. And he's an on-ball creator. He's, you know, 
a guard that's an on-ball creator isn't a great shooter. Um, I'm not surprised it took him a little bit of time, and I think he's still got a long ways to go to be the type of guy that he can be, but I think he can be an above-average point guard. But I think what you're looking for, you know, you, you can't worry about drafting over uh, Jalen Suggs or Cole Anthony right now. Um, you know, if Jalen Suggs ends up being your sixth man, so be it, uh, as long as the guy that's starting over him is good enough to be worth that starting spot. Uh, and I think a guard that can, you know, I think it's pretty obvious what you want, right? You've got Bancaro or Bancaro as your Bancaro as your primary creator. You need a guy that's going to be able to play off ball. You want a guy that's going to be able to run pick and roll with Bancaro as the roller. But you, you want a guy that's going to be uh, probably a little bit bigger, somebody that can be a primary guarder of guards, a primary defender of guards. Um, the first guy. Obviously, Scoot Henderson would be fantastic. He's going to be great on any team. I, I think Scoot's got a chance to be like an MVP level player. Um, I think he's, I, I think he's the obvious number one pick if he was in this year's draft. I think in 2021, there's a good chance he goes over Cade. Um, 2020, there's a good chance he goes over Edwards or Lamelo or Wiseman, any of those guys. Scoot would be great on this team. Scoot would be great on any team, though. Uh, the other guy that I kind of pegged as maybe a good fit would be Derek Whitehead. Derek Whitehead's a really explosive athlete. Um, he's a, he's definitely a great on-ball creator, um, but I don't know that he needs to be a point guard. I think he's maybe more of a combo guard, which, you know, I, I sort of think of Jalen Suggs the same way as he's a really good athlete, really good basketball awareness, uh, but not necessarily somebody that is a full-time point guard, not necessarily your primary pick-and-roll creator. I think Derek Whitehead would be a really good fit with these two guys. I think he's a guy that could come in, you know, get some easy three-point shots, practice that a lot, learn how to act as a secondary guy, get into the rim. Is going to run some pick-and-roll sometimes, but, you know, so, some of the beauty of Boncaro is going to be that you can get him into the short-roll situation and, let him work his magic there. So you don't necessarily have to be pressing as much uh, if you are the point guard in that situation. So I think Drake Whitehead would be a great fit there. You know, I, I haven't watched nearly enough to really make any definitive claims, but I, I'd, I'd like to see Nick Smith a little bit more this year, see how he would fit in there. Um, obviously, if you could get a, get, a, get a guy like Amen or Asar Thompson, I think those guys, you know, again, I think a lot of what I'm looking for in that position, you don't spend a top five pick on a guard defender. But a guy that is, can be a lockdown defender at the guard position and then can be more of a combo guard on offense where good shooter, good ability to just play without the ball, uh, run off some screens, and then, you know, when the situation calls for it, run some pick and roll with Boncaro, run some pick and roll with Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter. Um, and I think there's going to be a bunch of guys in this draft that can fit that. Even if you aren't necessarily a top three, top five uh, selector in this draft, I think they're going to have a chance to even in the top 10 or maybe even, you know, 11, 12, this could be a chance to get a guy that fits that description. So that's all I've got for the Orlando Magic. The next team on my list, which I'll be honest, uh, I'm a little bit less intrigued than them uh, than I was with the Magic. Uh, but <laughs> I committed to getting three questions for all these teams. So here goes nothing. Uh, my 14th ranked team in the East, uh, second worst team that I've got projected in the East. And when I say projection, I mean me kind of just guessing because I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it's fun to try to figure it out and suss through things. You know, I've been watching basketball long enough and follow the league closely enough that I, I have a decent idea of what's going on. But uh, 14th team I've got in the East uh, are the Indiana Pacers. 
Uh, and the biggest question that I have with the Pacers is actually not player related. Uh, my number one question with the Pacers is how does Herb Simon feel? Herb Simon's the owner of the Pacers. He's been the owner for a long time. Uh, I don't exactly know how long, but uh, I think at least, you know, 20 years or so. He's not a new owner by any means. Um, Herb Simon is 87 years old. I don't necessarily know what kind of, you know, condition he's in health-wise, but I, I certainly don't imagine that he's as interested in long-term tanking and looking for his team to be great again in 2030. I, I have to imagine that, you know, w- once you get to that age, you're looking to, and I don't necessarily own an NBA team, so I don't really have that sort of insight, but also I'm not 87 years old, but I have to imagine he's pretty interested in this upcoming season and whatever happens after this season happens when it happens. Um, the biggest question I have is how much does he still care about the team? You know, at this point, I, I could imagine if I'm 87 years old, I, you know, it would be fun to go watch the basketball team that I own. It's a cool, I feel like some owners have it as a status symbol, but for someone like me, who's just a big basketball fan. And I, I'm guessing Herb Simon's probably more along those lines of he, he just likes basketball a lot. And it's fun to be an owner of the team that, you know, it's sort of the Steve Ballmer thing, right? Like Steve Ballmer's the Clippers' biggest fan. Um, he also happens to own the team and has a lot of influence over the team, which is cool, very cool. Um, but I think he's just like a really big basketball fan. And it's cool for him to own the team. Um, I, I'm very interested. And in, in one thing, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier in this podcast, or I did in an earlier draft. Um, one of the things I've heard, I, I think it was on uh, the Hoop Collective, Brian Windhorst podcast, but he mentioned that, well, they had a little argument back and forth, but one of the, one of the ideas was that this week uh, Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson played uh, out in Las Vegas, and he mentioned that there's going to be a lot of owners that are more willing to go, uh, maybe halfway through the season, decide to go all in on the tank now that they've seen Wimby uh, and have seen that oh this guy this guy is going to be a generational prospect. I think there's a chance that Herb Simon before. You know, he, he is the prototypical owner that I think you see. Um, this is maybe a potential thing where he, you know, before the season, I think he's thinking, hey, we, we've got, it, it feels a little morbid to say this, but I've only got a certain number of seasons left of being able to watch this team. I want to see this team be fun and exciting right now. Even if we're not going to be, you know, winning a championship, I want to be fighting for the playoffs. I want to try to win as much as possible. I want to have fun while watching this team. Um, we've got, Halliburton, we've got Benedict Matherin, we've got Miles Turner, we've got Buddy Hill, we've got guys still. Like, I want to see this team compete and try to win. But now that you've seen this guy, Wembenyama, I think there's a chance that you say, you know what? I'm okay sacrificing this season because this sacrificing this season is not going to be, you know, you're still going to see Halliburton, you're still going to see Matherin. You know, maybe you trade Miles Turner and Heald and a couple of those other um, more role player type guys and you tank for this season, but I think the idea would be that you get Wimbanyama and then next year you go all out. You try to win as much as possible starting next season. I think the idea that some of these owners can sell themselves or, or the GMs can sell the owners on is we don't have to do the Oklahoma City five year or the, you know, the Sam Hankey 76ers long term rebuild. We can tank this year, go get this guy. And then it's on. We are trying to win as soon as possible. We got our guy. We got our LeBron James. And now, you know, the seasons from then on out, we're getting to watch the most exciting player in the league. 
So that's my biggest question with the Pacers. Again, it's not an on-the-court question, to be completely honest. I don't think I'm going to watch very much Pacers basketball this year. Uh, even Tyler's, Tyrese Halliburton might not be quite enough for me to watch a whole lot. But I think the biggest question is just, yeah, what does Herb Simon feel? Uh, and what direction does he allow this team to go in? Because the owners still have a ton of power over the direction of these franchises. And if he gives the okay to tank for Wembenyama, or even, you know, again, I've mentioned Scoot's going to be a phenomenal runner-up. I think people have, I, I've heard 2019 mentioned as a comparison where it's like, well, you didn't get Zion, but you get John Morant. Yeah, I think this might be kind of like that. And even, I, I think some of these other guys, you know, Amon Thompson, Nick Smith, uh, the, those guys, you know, Cam Whitmore is another name I've heard mentioned. I think they've got a chance to be, I think this has got a chance to be the best draft in a very long time. Uh, I think 03 is the one comparison that you make, but I, I think this might even be a little bit more star-studded with real starter-level players, you know, in the teens, in the 20s even. Um, I think 2018 is maybe the best draft that I've ever, uh, I don't want to say covered, but was a major, big-time fan during and, you know, watched a lot of prospects going into that. I think this has a chance to be on that level, if not even better, in terms of both star-level at the top and depth of starter-level talent in the uh, teens and 20s, so... Yeah, I think just how does Herb Simon feel about tanking for this year? Is he is he going to give the okay, or is he going to say, no, I want to see good basketball uh, while I still have the opportunity to do so? Uh, the other two questions I have are player-related, although one of them is not necessarily a performance thing. Uh, the second question I have is just it, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, you know, you traded Demonis Sabonis for him. I, I think that's a good call. Um, I don't think it's quite the heist that everybody sort of made it out to be, but, you know, I like Halliburton a lot, and I do think... You know, along the lines of entertaining versus pure uh, winning performance, I think he's a very entertaining player. He's got that wild-looking step-back three. Uh, he makes some great transition passes. Uh, my, my question is really, is he, you know, is he a top 15-level point guard, or does he really flash the ability to be, you know, a borderline all-NBA guy? Is he a borderline all-star guy, or is he a borderline all-NBA guy? Can he get into that conversation as a top 10 guard in the league? Uh, I think it's possible. I think he's got the level of skill. You know, being 6'5 as a guard that is that adept at passing is a pretty huge advantage. You know, we've seen it with Luka. That was the thing with Magic, too, is if you can see over guys, I mean, uh, LeBron as well, right? You know, you can just see things that a guy like Isaiah Thomas, uh, either of them, I guess, you know, can't really see. Um, and, you know, m most of the greatest passers we've seen have been smaller, but I think that's more just that smaller guys have to be good at passing and they're more likely to be point guards. Whereas Halliburton, I think has a great chance to be a top three passer in the league. Um, not just in terms of raw assist numbers, but some of the more entertaining passes. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say on him. I think he's a really good player, but is he going to end up being a star star? Is he going to end up being a real superstar that you build your team around? Or is he, you know, your, your third best player? Um, is he more in the, I was going to say Tobias Harris in terms of, you know, he's a, he's a good starter. You know, he's in the, he's probably in the 10 to 20 range in his uh, best players at his position, but you know, he's not the guy that sells you tickets. I, I think Halliburton has a chance to be the guy that sells tickets, especially over the next couple of years as the Pacers sort of build back up. Um, and my third question with the Pacers, it, again, feels a little derivative, but are they finally going to trade Miles Turner? Um, and you can add, again, a couple of the other guys in there. Buddy Heels is the other one that comes to mind just because of the the 
infamous non-trade with the Lakers at this point, the Miles Turner Buddy Heald package. Um, it's it's really funny to say this because I feel like four years, three years, we heard, uh, oh yeah, they got to trade one of Turner or Sabonis. They got to trade one of Turner or Sabonis. And I think everyone kind of assumed it. Turner was going to be the guy because Sabonis had two all-stars. He was just a little bit more difficult to fit on a great team. Uh, but they ended up trading Sabonis last year. I think they got a great deal for him. You know, it's great to get Halliburton back. Uh, but I think we're still looking and saying, okay, well, kind of still seems like Miles Turner is going to get traded, doesn't it? Still doesn't really feel like that great of a fit, which I don't know if that's as much him not being a great fit on the basketball court. I think it might just be a matter of we've we've gotten to a point where Miles isn't very happy. The team probably isn't thrilled to have him as one of their best players. I don't know. I think he might be coming up for a con- he's got to be coming up for a contract extension soon, uh, maybe the next year or two. I don't know if they really want to pay him market value. Um, so I- I'd be pretty interested to see if they decide to trade him. I think there's a good chance they do, but kind of goes back to my initial point of how does Herb Simon feel, right? If if he's interested in trying to trade him and get another young guy in there and help the tank for this year, then I think they absolutely do it. If he's against it and he wants to see Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton play together and, you know, thinks that Turner is a lot of fun to watch, then they probably hold on to him. I think, honestly, this is a situation where ownership is... It's funny because he's not an owner you necessarily hear about all the time. Um, he's not a Mark Cuban, some guy that's out in, out in the out in the front seats, you know, he's not Steve Ballmer, but I think he is a guy who his, I mean, he's an owner. His decisions are going to be the primary decisions of the team. He's a guy who I, I feel a little bit less confident in predicting what he would want. Um, and he's a guy that I could see going against the grain and saying, I'm okay being like the eighth best team in the East. Like, I just want to see my team do fine and kind of win some. Uh, that's kind of how they've always been. The Pacers don't really tank. So overall, it'll just be interesting to see what direction the Pacers go. You know, if they really commit to the tank, I think they'll have a good chance of getting a top five pick, um, or at least having the one of the worst five records in the league. Um, but I just don't know if that's the direction they want to go. You know, especially now that the play-in gets you to ten teams, I think they they want to. They have a good chance of fighting for the tenth seed, and if that's what Herb Simon wants to see, that's I think what we will see. So we'll we'll see with that. Uh, I can't say I am particularly enthralled by that team but it is interesting just in terms of uh that's a situation where the owner again being 87 years old and maybe wanting to see his team do well right now as opposed to caring about how the team does five years from now i think this is a good case study in terms of how the owner again uh, ownership is a huge deal in basketball it's a huge deal in all sports but i think especially in basketball where the rebuilding cycle is so lane bare so we'll see how they decide to handle this. Um, go ahead and launch into my next team. Uh, 13th ranked team in the East. This is a team that was actually in the play-in game last year, but did not necessarily make themselves look particularly... Uh, they didn't look great doing it. Did the same thing the year before, and I just I have no belief in this team, to be completely honest. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, I've got ranked as my 13th best team in the East, so third worst in the East. Uh, this is this has nothing to do with Lamelo Ball. I think he's great. I think he's an awesome player, but I just don't believe at all in the team around him. I think the fact that you brought Steve Clifford back um, after Kenny Atkinson bailed on you and D'Antoni was supposedly interviewing with you, and I guess you couldn't get him either afterwards. I don't really know how that worked out. 
still owned by Jordan, who's never been known as the uh, most patient of owners, still run by Mitch Kupchak, who's never had the greatest success as an executive in the league. Um, finished with 43 wins last year, again, 10th in the East. So, you know, putting them as the 13th team in the East would be a pretty big fall from grace. They were the ninth ranked offense last year, uh, 23rd in defense. So, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were a bottom five team. And I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they're probably around that same range this year, uh, only because Steve Clifford's there, but end up, you know, maybe more in the 15 to 20 range in offense. Um, I just don't believe in what this team has got going. Um, obviously, they have lost Miles Bridges, or hopefully have lost Miles Bridges. You just have to hope at this point that they're not going to pull some uh, something obnoxious and bring him back um, six months of the season. And I mean, that dude needs to pay his penance. I don't know if he ever needs to be in the league again, but if he does come back, it certainly needs to be after um, after a while. He needs to pay his penance. He's, I mean he probably needs to be in jail for a little while. Like he, he committed a pretty serious crime. Um, but even outside of that, the rest of their team, I just, I don't really like, what are you betting on here? Like you betting on Terry Rozier to keep improving? Like PJ Washington's going to be your third star, second star or whatever. I, I, I can't express how out on Kai Jones I am. I think he's just the classic example of a dude who's a great athlete and seems like he's going to be a great development player, but is just not good at basketball. You know, hard to imagine that Gordon Hayward plays more than 50 games, if that. Uh, like Kelly Oubre is like a really important player on this team. It's just, I don't really know where they're going. Um, and that sort of leads into my number one question is, I think with the Charlotte Hornets, it's sort of weird that I'm focusing on these with the bottom teams, but like, What's going to make our ownership happy? What's going to make Jordan? And I think Jordan's looking at selling the team. So what's going to make the next group happy? Like, what's our what's our goal here? Are we trying to make the playoffs? Are we trying to, like, build a young team around LaMelo? Or do we want to surround him with vets? Like, do we want to keep Gordon Hayward around or try to trade him for someone young or try to trade him for someone older but just less injury prone? Are we trying to package P.J.? Uh, and I don't know, Kai Jones or whoever, and get some vets. Like, I, I don't know what the goal is here. Uh, and to be completely frank, I think beyond that, I think as Mitch Kupchak or, you know, any of these uh, front office folks who are a part of the basketball operations building this team, it's like, how, how do we keep our jobs? Like, wh- what is it going to take to keep our jobs? You know, J- James Borrego got him to 43 wins last year and got fired, got him to a top 10 offense. They got fired because, you know, they, they admittedly got embarrassed in the, uh, in the playing game, but I don't know that he had really, I think he did pretty well with what he had in front of him. So I think it's just going to be tough to really say like, what do we need to do here? Like, do we need to win this year? Do we need LaMelo to really be like in the all-star conversation? Do we need Mark Williams, our draft pick and James Bucknight to look really awesome? Or again, are we trying to like win 45 games this year what is our standard of success and to be completely honest i don't even know if they know uh which is that's a problem Uh, and that's definitely my number one question for the hornets uh my number two question for the hornets similar type of question but this time for Lamelo. how do we keep Lamelo happy you know they brought on leangelo ball as a guy on their roster which i'm sure had nothing to do with uh his last name um I just, you know, drafted Mark Williams, who I think could be a great pick and roll partner or 
uh, pick and pop partner with LaMelo. I, I, one of my, uh, well, actually that goes into my third question. I guess I'll go ahead and say it, but is Mark Williams the answer as a pick and roll partner for LaMelo? I think there's a good chance he is. I think, I think that dude's got a really good chance to be a, um, you know, I, I think the prototypical example you look to is Trey Young and Clint Capella in Atlanta, right? Um, can you get a guy that's going to come in and be just a, 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 a really big target at the rim, you know, wide catch radius? Uh, Mark Williams is definitely going to be a lot more of a, of a shooting big, but can he come in and start serving that role right away? I, he's, he's a young guy. I think he's probably 19 years old. I think he came out as, as a freshman. Um, but, you know, I'd be excited to see if he can actually look like a real powerful offensive threat. Um, that could be a complimentary play with, with, with Lamelo, but I just don't know that Lamelo is going to be very happy losing the play in game every year, especially as a guy that is proving to be a real all star talent, proving to be a guy that was worth the number three overall pick and is worth building your offense around, you know we haven't quite seen a guy as young as him push for a trade yet. And I think it's just going to be a little bit more difficult logistically. Um, but there's going to be a point where, I mean, it's Charlotte, North Carolina. Like I, I live around here. I, Charlotte's fine. I don't think any NBA superstars are like excited to call Charlotte their home. Um, e- even if it's not going to LA or New York or Miami, like I think there's other cities, you know, Houston, I'm sure. Uh, Lamella would love to be in Houston, right? I'm sure he'd much prefer to be in Phoenix, you know, more near home in L.A. Um, I just don't know what it's going to take to keep Lamelo happy. I don't know that the Hornets have, I don't think they have it in them to keep him happy, to be completely honest. And I'm very interested to see if this is the year where it starts to fall apart and we start to hear murmurs of, yeah, Lamelo is really unhappy and he's, you know, the, the one to look for is if people in the media start saying, oh, we might pick up his qualifying offer. If you hear that, that's a huge red flag. I really doubt that means he's going to pick up his qualifying offer, but I think that means that he's starting to push, you know, maybe not as much internally to the team itself, but throwing out some signals that, yeah, I'm really unhappy and I would like to be moved. And this just isn't going to work long term, which to be completely honest, I would agree with him on. I don't think it's going to work long term. I don't trust that ownership. I don't trust their front office. And I don't really trust any of the guys that they've been drafting. I like Mark Williams, but again, I think Kai Jones was a uh, not a great pick. Um, Book Knight maybe is going to be fine. Um, it's just you look up and down their roster, and it's like you know PJ Washington is fine. It's just fine. They're fine, you know. And if your goal is to keep competing to maybe finally win in the play-in and have a chance to, you know, get swept out of the playoffs, then sure, yeah, stay there for the next 10 years. But I don't think that's what Lamelo is going to do, especially not if it's in a shit... It, oh, maybe a 40 and slip right there. If it's in a city like Charlotte that's not necessarily a a, a vibrant hub uh, for NBA athletes, you know? So that's... And I sort of mentioned the Mark Williams question... Um, those are my three questions for Charlotte. I, I don't feel the need to spend a whole lot more time on them. I think I've spent plenty on them already. Oh, boy. So I'm already at uh, 38 minutes of recording time. Uh, I forgot how much I apparently like listening to myself talk um, <laughs> and how much I like talking, So especially about basketball. Um, I'm going to go ahead and launch into my 12th team right now. Probably going to cut this uh, just to the bottom five teams, but... 12th team, I've got my ranking, and it might be a little surprising to hear that this is not the Pistons. I still have not mentioned the Pistons yet. 
pretty optimistic on them this season as a team that's actually going to win some games, you know, not, not 50 games, but I think they might be competing for the play in honestly. Um, but my 12th ranked team in the East. So fourth worst in the East, uh, I've got the Washington wizards. Uh, I know my friend Jake is going to be devastated to hear that his, his beloved wizards are this low. Uh, cause I'm sure he'll be listening to my podcast because hopefully nobody, none of my friends listen to this. Hopefully I can only hope that they would not subject themselves to this. That would, that would, you know, I'd feel bad for them, honestly. Um, but with the Wizards, you know, it's another team where I'm just not that sold on them. You know, I, I know this is a huge, yeah, what a, what a scorching hot take. I don't believe in the Washington Wizards and their future. But, yeah, <laughs> and I'll be honest, my questions are not going to be particularly scorching hot either. These are pretty bland takes, but I just drill it. It's another one of these teams, you know, the Wizards and the Hornets, I kind of feel like are in the same vein of just kind of rudderless teams that don't really have, you know, the Hornets have Lamelo, but I just don't think that he's going to be around there long term. Um, he, he's, I think, going into his third year, but it, like he's, he's just this type of guy that I don't think is, I, I don't know how much he can do to force a trade. Uh, or try to force his way out, but I don't think he's be very happy about staying in Charlotte long term. I think he wants he's going to want to get out sooner rather than later. Um, and the Wizards, kind of the opposite way, they've got Bradley Beal still, but I, I don't really know. You know, he, he seems pretty happy being there. I don't know that Bradley Beal really feels the need to go anywhere else. So, you know, th- this might be a situation where he just hangs around and both sides are just happy with it. But I could also see the team maybe finally deciding it's time for a trade and trying to meet with him and say, Hey, like, can we find you a good landing spot? And just, you know, both move on with our lives. Um, and that is my number one question. I'm so sorry, Washington fans. I'm so sorry. I wish I had something better, but I just don't know. Like, are, are we really keeping Bradley Beal? Are we really doing this? Like, are we just going to keep going? I know this is exhausting, but you have a 29 year old all-star who's a really good player, who would be, I mean, he's he's a great shooter. He just seems like the perfect fit for a good team as their second or third best player. And you have a team right now that, again, I think is going to be like the 12th best team in the East. I think they have a really good chance of not making the play-in game, let alone making the playoffs. It's just, I, I don't know. Are, are they going to keep him? I don't really see... Um, I, I think there's a good chance that Bradley Beal just says, hey, I am totally fine with just, I like being the best player on my team. I would rather stay around here and see if one of the next few seasons we can actually make the playoffs and compete in a series, maybe even win a series. Uh, maybe he just doesn't really care as much about winning a title. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I'm surprised there aren't more guys like that. I think there's just a lot of pressure um, to be this, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here for a title. You know, title or nothing, wins are all that matters. That's not the only thing that matters in basketball. You know, there's some amount of the entertainment part of it. Um, there's some amount of just, I love playing basketball for playing basketball's sake. Uh, there's also a lot of money that you can make from playing basketball, and Bradley Beal is very well aware of that. I think there's nothing wrong with making $250 million over five years, not really winning, and, you know, putting $100 million back into your community and being a real force for good, you know, outside of basketball. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but from a basketball perspective, I just don't know, you know. And if Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Wizards, says, yeah, I'm fine. Let's just keep Brad around. He'll sell us some tickets. Just keep winning, you know, 35 games and 
maybe we'll make the playoffs one of these next couple of years. I think that I think both sides might just be content with that. Um, but if they hit a breaking point, then I I think you know that's that's the biggest question I have is are they truly content just doing this, or does one side or the other decide, hey, we just need to cut cut ties and move on? Um, to be completely honest, I would bank on them keeping Bradley Beal. Um, but I think that is probably the biggest question for this season, unfortunately. Th- that being said, I do think there is a so there is another other former All Star on this team that I feel like has really fallen out of the conversation. Uh, it's funny; I feel like he would probably get discussed more if he was on the Rockets or some garbage team than he does on the Wizards. But Kristaps Porzingis was a phenomenal force when he was in New York. He was, everyone I think thinks of him as, you know, he's a seven foot two, seven foot three, uh, really big guy. I think they just think, oh yeah, big rain protector, can't really move. But he was a phenomenal offensive player when he was in New York. You know, he was hitting threes, you know, had a lot of creation game. I think people, I certainly have sort of forgotten about it, you know, and he was just sort of a corner shooter with on Lucas team. But, you know, he, he was a guy that was really a creator. Um, a self-creator in New York. So I'm just really interested to see because the injuries have certainly been the biggest thing. And unfortunately, this might be a situation where his body has just permanently been changed to the point where I feel like I've heard this term, he's been sapped of athleticism to the point where he just can't self-create efficiently anymore. I think it's possible that that's the case, but I'm going to be really interested to watch him this year. And honestly, I don't have a ton to say on it. I'm just... I, I would like to see if he can get back to some of his former glory in terms of uh, self-creation, if he can sort of start to um, use the size, but it's not just the size. It's combine the size with skill and the ability to, you know, again, he's listed at seven foot three. He should be able to just shoot over guys, you know, um, on the perimeter, get in the post, get in the mid-range or whatever. Uh, I'm just interested to see if he can turn into, I don't think he's going to be, the guy that we thought he would be when he was young. Uh, but can he be a 20-point-per-game score? Can he be a 23-point-per-game score? Um, can he get up to, like, 25 even? I think there's a chance of that. And this is the type of team that's going to let him try to work on that. Um, uh, Bradley Beal is going to be the number one guy, but Porzingis is absolutely the number two. And Brad Beal is not nearly the type of uh, dominant ball handler that Luka was. So... That's that's definitely my biggest on-the-court question for this team. Uh, the other one that I listed is, you know, a little generic, but, you know, they, they've got... The Wizards have had four lottery picks in the last four years. None of them have really panned out to be a great pick. Um, you got Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia's back-to-back ninth picks. Uh, Rui in the 2019 draft, Denny in the 2020 draft. Uh, you had Corey Kispert last year at 15 overall, and then Johnny Davis this year at 10th overall. Um, I think Johnny Davis, people were a little worried coming out of college that he doesn't really have a prototypical NBA game, uh, certainly not a role-player game or an off-ball game, but I think, I think the preseason has really scared people um, and Summer League as well. But, you know, I think it's just going to be a matter of do any of these guys really flash a an above-average level of skill set in anything? It, does Denny Abdia end up being like, a real above average wing defender. Can Corey Kispert be a real 39 to 40% three point shooter? Can Rui Hachimura become like an above average pull up mid range guy or, you know, a back to basket mid range guy? 
Um, can Johnny Davis do his thing? I don't. T- I don't totally know a whole ton about Johnny Davis to be honest. But you know, can 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 any of these guys? Because I don't think it, any of them are going to end up being the second or third best player on a solid to good team. But can you find a role in which you excel? Can you be? Um, it's kind of weird to pull Davis Bertans out here because he obviously ended up struggling a lot with the Wizards after he got paid, but. Can, can you find a role in which you excel? Can you be a really high-level role player, um, whether that is as a, as a starter or someone coming off the bench? Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe in any of those guys a whole lot. You know, I guess Kispert as a shooter is probably the safest bet, and then Avdia as a defender is probably the second safest bet. Neither of those are guys you're going to pay $25 million to, but you know, it, it would certainly be nice if they popped. You, you need... You need a couple of those guys to be value-add players uh, at their spot in the rotation. But, you know, I, I think that's the other big question. You know, you got a couple other guys. I think, I think, well, I don't really have a couple other guys. you got, like, Vernon Carey is your other young guy. Daniel Gafford, I guess you would consider another young guy. Isaiah Todd is on that list. But it's just a matter of, like, how many of these guys are, again, if you're the seventh player on the team, can you be above average as a seventh player? If you are the fifth best starter on your team, can you be an above average fifth best starter on a team? I don't know that I would bet on any of these guys to hit that, but that's going to be a big question for this season. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, you can probably tell I'm not particularly optimistic on the Wizards as with the Hornets, but it sort of is what it is. I've just, I don't see a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Uh, with that being said, though, I can move on to a team that I've got as the 11th spot that I am much, much more optimistic on. I, I am a huge believer in the future uh, and a little bit to an extent the present of the Detroit Pistons. Um, I am I am so sold on Cade Cunningham. I, I, I thought he was uh, really good at Oklahoma State. I think s- some of his interviews that I've watched, it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy is He's not just like a good interview, a good person. He seems like a good leader, but not just like, I, I feel like sometimes we think of good leader as in a guy that gives good speeches or who looks, you know, uh, professional in front of the camera. But no, he seems like the guy that he's going to be able to talk to a 30 year old NBA vet and get that vet to be like, oh, this is my guy that I'm going to war with. I think he's that level of mature um, and poised and just confident in himself. But I think. I think he's got a really good combination of being confident in himself, but also also imbuing his teammates with that level of confidence. Um, I, I'm just so in on him. And I think the top question that you're going to have this year is, I think Cade's the guy. I think Cade's the number one guy. I think he was absolutely deserving as the number one overall pick. Evan Mobley might be a 15-time All-Star, and I still, you know, there's a good chance I'm wrong with this. I still think Cade could have a better career. Um, I think Cade's a guy that could be a fringe MVP guy and who can take you to the finals. Um, so the biggest thing that we're going to have to ask this year, and was a similar question last year, but what kind of surrounding talent fits best with Cade and uh, the way that he plays basketball? Cade sort of fits into the prototypical uh, big wing archetype. I think a lot of people were sort of making comparisons to Luca. He's not quite that uh, I don't think Cade is quite the ball dominant guy that Luca is, or you know James Harden's the other uh, classic comparison there. I think he's a little bit more comfortable being an off ball guy. I think his biggest thing is going to be uh, transition offense, but I also do think he's going to be um, 
you know, I, I think you are going to want a point guard, and hopefully Jaden Ivey is this guy, but a point guard that can handle a lot of the pick-and-roll attack, that can initiate the offense. But Cade is much more of a – he's he's an on-ball creator. I think maybe a little bit more in the Jason Tatum vein in terms of uh, he's going to get to his spots. He's going to develop. I think he's going to turn into a really good shooter. He's shot 31% from three last year, but I think he'll end up being a high volume – I mean, he shot 5.73s per game last year, and I think he'll – uh, continue to get that number up, and I think his three-point shooting uh, efficiency will increase as well. Um, but he's just, you know, I think he's six six, maybe maybe closer to six seven, but he plays bigger than that. Uh, he he plays like a, again a big wing, um, likes to pass the ball. He makes some pretty ambitious passes. Like I said, I think he's a guy that just really is conscious of which of my teammates hasn't had the ball who who needs to get the ball to really feel involved in the game who who needs to get their shots up early who do i need to try to feed who's looking down in the dumps who do i need to go you know not just pat on the back but get him an open shot um i think he's very conscious of that sort of stuff so you know looking at the current roster i I think you definitely see some guys that seem like they fit around his his skill set pretty well you know, I think uh, Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel were a couple of veterans they brought in. I think those guys are going to um, really help uh, Cade in his development. I think they're just good role players that, again, they have good role player skill sets. Alec Burks is a good shooter uh, who can do some offensive creation of his own and probably set um, set Cade up with the occasional um, advantage situation. Uh, I think Nerlens is going to be a great pick and roll guy. Uh, Nerlens is also a great defender at the rim, uh, and I think you know that's that's an important thing to have if you want to start working on a semblance of a solid to good defense down the line. Um, I think Jalen Duran is a perfect perfect player to put with Cade. I think Jalen Duran is going to be fantastic. Um, I think he's going to turn into more of a shooter, but maybe in the long term he's more of like a guy that can. Uh, get it in the mid-range and make shots. Uh, maybe not necessarily threes, but I think he's going to be a dominant, dominant force at the rim. Uh, he's I, I, he's not. I don't think he's quite seven foot. He's maybe more like six ten, six eleven. But great vertical, great sprinter too. I think he's just got really good mobility uh, and top end speed. I think he's going to be a force in the fast break and transition. And and I think Cade's going to be really good at finding him and hit ahead passes. Uh, and then just also you know pick and roll creation. I think. Jalen Duran's going to give him a pretty large uh, margin of error in terms of his lobs or just passes uh, out of pick and roll. Um, but that's the biggest thing is just evaluating Cade and less of determining whether Cade is the number one guy because I'm pretty confident that he is. But figuring out, okay, well, you know, is Jaden Ivey a good fit at point guard? Like, is he, is he the ideal backcourt guy? Is is uh, Jalen Duran and Derlin's Noel, are those good big guys for him? You know, is Boyan on the wing? Is that a good fit? Uh, just figuring out what type of play styles that he fits well with. I think that's the biggest question for the Pistons. Uh, second question for the Pistons is having to do with that guy. Uh, their number five overall pick, Jaden Ivey. Big Jaden Ivey fan, too. Uh, I'm very glad he didn't go to the Kings. It's funny because I, I think the Kings made the right choice by taking Keegan Murray. Um, I, I just, that's a little bit more because I think it would have been just a toxic situation to have Jaden Ivey in there with De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell. Um, I think Jaden Ivey, I don't, I'm not going to send anyone to Sacramento if I don't have to, but if I'm going to send someone to Sacramento, I want it to be a guy with a f- fully fleshed out game, 
um, that is more of a self-creator and less reliant on other guys to hit shots, like Keegan Murray. I think Keegan Murray is just a really good... He's like a he's like a hyper role player uh, is the sort of vibe I, I've gotten from him. I haven't watched a ton of his games. Didn't really watch much of Iowa, but you know I think he's a guy that's going to get his points no matter who is around him. Uh, I think he's going to make it really easy on guys to find him when he's open too. I think that's a thing, and he'll he'll make difficult shots as well. Uh, Jaden Ivey though, definitely a difficult shot maker. Definitely likes taking tough pull up shots. Um, but but he's a guy that's clearly going to need some development. He's a, a very explosive athlete. He got comparisons to John Morant. That's a little unfair. Um, I don't know. He's quite got the vertical that John Morant does. And one of the things that Ja does that's just incredible and shows you his uh, feel for the game at a young age is he'll do these. He'll have these times where he like jumps in the air and he's just floating there for th- it feels like three seconds. And then instead of just shooting it, he'll just pass it out to an open guy. Um, I don't think Jaden Ivey's quite got that skill. I don't know if he quite has that um, that balance or that able to hang ability to hang in the air. But I think he's a, a an explosive athlete, and I think it's just going to be a question of is he our second best player? Is he the guy that we really want to pair with Cade Cunningham? It's funny because we still don't really see teams that are winning based off of uh, just a dominant backcourt. You know, Steph and Clay is the prototypical example those are the splash brothers and then draymond came along a little bit later but i think you could argue that draymond was um maybe as valuable as clay for those title teams i would probably take clay over him um or at least for the 15 and 16 teams before they got kd but it, it is still you know the last couple of title teams we've had i guess the the suns were in the finals with uh with uh booker and chris paul as their top two guys but you know they, they still had some real impressive talent with bridges and uh, DeAndre Ayton, and I think Crowder played really good for them that year. Uh, Cam Johnson played really good for them that year, but, you know, I, we, we've seen it a little bit more where your two best guys can be guards, um, and I certainly think this is the most the most accessible era for guards um, just in terms of the, the paint is so much more wide open, so you can actually get in and score as a smaller guy a little bit more effectively you know fouls are getting called a little bit more often it's a little bit harder to just bully guys uh and physically abuse people uh, for, for lack of a better term um i, I think there's a good chance that Jaden ivy is going to be a good fit with Cade. i think he's a guy that's got some good ball handling skills can run some pick and roll uh can also just be more of an off ball again i, I think transition is going to be huge for this team now with duran and Jaden ivy both two big time explosive athletes um, just a question of how does he fit? Because again, Cade's the number one guy. Cade is the face of the franchise. If I if Ivy looks really good, but it just there's there's some contention uh, with him and Cade, or if he feels the need to be the number one guy, um, then it's probably not going to be the best use of the number five overall pick, and they might have to move on, and more importantly, try to find somebody else to fit in that other spot in the backcourt. So. That's my number two question. Uh, my number three question, and this isn't one I'm as uh, concerned about. Those are by far the top two questions I have. But one of the things I'm curious about is, do the Pistons think Dwayne Casey is the coach for the next era of great Pistons teams? It, it, it's an interesting situation because Dwayne Casey, you know, fired after winning uh, Coach of the Year with the Raptors, hired to the Pistons, got paid a lot of money to do so. But but Dwayne Casey was actually hired to coach Blake Griffin. He he was hired back in 2018-19. Uh, it feels like a, so much longer than that, as everything pre-pandemic does. But 
mean, Blake was in his eighth season when he got hired. Blake was like 29 years old or something. Um, you know, we'd started to see some injuries. I think he did not make the all-star team the year before Casey got there, but he, he came in and he was coaching a team that was fighting the playoffs and in fact made the playoffs that year. They were, uh, that was the year they were the seventh seed and got swept and, you know, sort of where we started to see the rapid decline of Blake Griffin just due to injuries, which sucks. It always sucks to see that, but. Dwayne Casey was not hired to coach a rebuilding team. Um, he's stayed around, I think, a lot because it, he's getting paid a lot of money and the Pistons don't want to fire him and he's happy to coach and get paid a lot of money. Um, I think he's also you know, a, a very good, I, I hate using this phrase, player coach, but I think he is a guy that's a good motivator and probably was, you know, he, he was around for the development of a lot of guys in the Raptors organization. I think he's probably got you know, just a, a lot of player development jobs. Um, but this is the time where you are sort of making the decision of who is Cade Cunningham going to grow with? Who's Jaden Ivey, Jayla Duran? Who are these guys going to grow with? And, you know, ideally you want to bring in a guy right now that's going to be the coach for the next 10 years. I think, as far as I'm concerned, I would stick with Dwayne Casey. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think he is a good schem- schematic guy. I think he gets... Um, I think he was a little bit scapegoated with the Raptors. I think it, if he was there when Kawhi got there, they've, you know, I, I get Nick Nurse is a phenomenal adjuster. Nick Nurse is willing to make some pretty off the wall. I think he's one of those guys that is just um, not afraid to get criticized. Um, you know, came out of the British League or whatever, you know. I, th- I think it's sort of the idea that, okay, I've got my shot. I'm just going to go for it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think he's fine. I think he's the good. He, I think he's a good coach. Um, but that's a big question with the Pistons this year: is is it worth keeping him around, uh, or do we want to try to find uh, the next coach of the future that we're going to build around? So those are my questions with the Pistons. So my number ten team in the East, uh, who I've got slide is the fifth worst team in the East. Uh, funny saying that because this is actually the first team that would be in the play on play in uh, tournament. Uh, obviously, they would have. Two games, can't lose either game to actually get into the playoffs, but, you know, it's a playing game. It's not nothing. Um, I've got the New York Knicks slotted as the 10th best team in the East. Um, and I'll be honest, I think there's a good chance that Knicks make the playoffs. I think there's a good chance they're 7 or 8 seed at the end of the year. Um, I also think there's a chance they end up as 11 or 12. I think there's a chance they sell off their uh, veterans like Randall, uh, Evan Fournier, etc. Um, they already started doing that a little bit, though, I don't think that Nerlens Noel or Kemba was a particularly valuable vet. I think Alec Burks was for sure, but um, you know the Knicks are a team. I'm definitely pretty. I have a pretty wide band of outcomes for them. I think they could have a lot. You know, they could be anywhere from 45, 46 wins to 33, 34 wins. Um, it's just hard to really say at this point. And obviously, there's a lot of disappointment for not getting Donovan Mitchell, um, especially with what came out of nowhere with the Cavs package. But I think they've got some intrigue for this season, and I do like this team going forward. So the top thing that I have as a question for the New York Knicks this year is it's R.J. Barrett-related. R.J. Barrett got his contract. Um, I would say slightly under market value, especially a guy that is a an offensive wing like he is that also plays good defense. Um I'm interested to see, can R.J. Barrett prove this year that he could be a top three player on a contending team? I, I think he's so far proven that he's a good, solid player, a good, solid starting level player. You know, he's maybe 
going to be around the 20th to 25th best shooting guard slash small forward. I, I would, you know, I think ideally you want him at shooting guard, but he can defend threes and not a lot of guys can do that. Uh, so he'll probably end up being a small forward most of his career. But I, I think I think he's a solid player already. I think he's proven that he's just going to be a really hard worker and is going to, I think he just loves basketball and he's a heck of a professional too. So I, I, I'm very interested to see though, can he take a step forward to be a little bit more efficient on offense? Can he sort of establish his himself as either, you know, if I think there's a good chance that Julius Randall bounces back and is a better player on offense and RJ can be more of, you know, a, a top player with Julius as opposed to being the, the primary guy over Randall, but I, I would like to see him, especially with uh, Jalen Brunson, who I think is going to be another guy. I, I think what you really want with that is, again, there's always going to be some amount of a pecking order. Uh, Julius Randall had his season as the top guy, second team All NBA. I mean, we how quickly we forget, but that dude had an incredible season. He was, you know, shooting really well. Um, I, I'm interested to see if RJ can be. You know, if they can form, I don't want to call it a three-headed monster, but, you know, a, a triumvirate of guys that can be a little bit interchangeable of who the best player is on a given night. And, you know, I, I think Jalen Brunson's a really good player. I think Julius Randle's a really good player who had a rough season last year um, and has had some difficulty adjusting after, you know, I, I think most players, especially when you're relatively young and you have a season like he did uh, two years ago, are going to say, okay, well, yep, I've established myself now. I'm going to keep playing like this or get better. And to have a regression like he did, I think it's just tough mentally. Um, I, I'm going to be very interested to see if RJ can just become a little bit more of an efficient offensive player, start have, being a guy who the plays are run through a little bit more uh, and I think on the defensive end, too, it's going to be really interesting because I, I think he's got a chance to become – I don't think he's ever going to be a top five defender in the league. I don't know that he's ever going to make any all-defensive teams. But I think he should be a guy that can be, you know, maybe the 15th wing defender in the league, maybe the 18th wing defender in the league, 18th best w- wing defender in the league. Um, I think he's a guy that can be a really valuable wing defender. And, you know, if you have the 15th best wing defender in the league, that's really valuable when you get to the playoffs. Uh, nobody's going to shut down Kevin Durant, but if you have a guy that can hang with them and can avoid constant double teams or constant overhelping, that's incredibly valuable. Um, just a guy that can hold his own. So really interested to see RJ Barrett's development this year. My second question, and these next two questions, I can't say I'm going to spend that much time on, but um, my second question with the New York Knicks, and I'll preface this by saying, the development of the young guys is going to be big. You know, Obi, uh, quickly, um, Quentin Grimes, I'm definitely interested to see that. But the couple of things I think are going to be important for this season and the short-term future uh, of this team, I, I think I'd be interested to see if Julius Randle and Evan Fournier can have bounce back years uh, and establish themselves as neutral value on their contracts, you know, maybe slightly positive value. Uh, I think both of those guys are solid players who – just had down years. I don't expect them to be, you know, all NBA guys next year. I don't expect them to be all stars next year, but I think they have a good chance of being good quality level starters next year. And that's what they're getting paid. You know, Evan Fournier is getting paid like 17 million a year. He's not getting paid 30 million a year. I think Julius Randle gets paid 25, 26, 27, maybe. It's a lot, but if he can be a really effective offensive player, you know, that's not egregious. I think he gets paid less than Tobias Harris, for instance. So, 
if he can establish himself more at that level, um, whether that is to be traded in the middle of this season, whether they want to trade him in the offseason, or whether they just want, you know, whether it's just a matter of getting guys to perform at a good level again. And again, I've got him slotted the 10th spot, but I think Julius Randle, Evan Fournier bounce back. If Derrick Rose stays healthy uh, and the young guys provide a, a lot, um, if they provide more than you would expect, uh, you know, I, I think Hartenstein is a good pickup too. I, I'm not a huge Mitchell Robinson fan, so I think bringing him in, I think he'll be an effective center. Um, they could be a legit, you know, seventh or eighth best team in the East, especially if a couple of these other teams uh, near the middle of the pack have injuries or underperform. I, I think the Knicks could be fine next year and could be, you know, back in playoff contention. So, I'd be really interested to see how those guys uh, bounce back this year. And then this third question, I couldn't really think of anybody. Um, You know, it was a little bit of a struggle because I wanted to put this question together, but I couldn't think of a couple of great examples. But I'm interested to see, are there any stars on the horizon that Knicks can trade for without gutting their whole team? You know, I'm not talking about the Donovan Mitchell package or the inevitable Shea discussion. A level down, a veteran star, maybe. Again, I know this sounds dumb because the Knicks have done this already, getting Julius Randle and paying him too much, and they just paid Jalen Brunson a bunch of money. But I, I think it is kind of like Jalen Brunson is like 25, 26 years old. He is not old at all. I, I don't know that this team is necessarily trying to build to be a title contender. And if they are, I think they're, it's, I mean, it's really tough to be a real title contender. Uh, if you're going to be a real title contender, you're going to have to try to get a top three pick more than likely because I don't think R.J. Barrett's going to be a superstar, uh, and I don't think anyone else on your team has the potential to be that. And as much as I love the Knicks, I don't think you're going to be just signing that guy in free agency. And if you have to trade for a guy like that, it's it's hard to build a team that's worth playing on. I mean, if you trade what it takes to get Kevin Durant, it's going to be hard to build around Kevin Durant and have a title team. So... I would honestly say, I think it's more than reasonable for the Knicks to say, hey, we're building to have, we're building for home court advantage in the playoffs. We're trying to get to the conference finals. We're trying to get a team that can be a really good team that maybe, maybe if one of our guys really blows up and RJ Barrett turns into, you know, a borderline all-NBA player or Quentin Grimes turns into a real all-star or Obi Toppin turns into that, you know, whatever. I I don't necessarily believe any of those are going to happen, but... Uh, put themselves in a situation where, you know, like the Hawks when they made their conference finals a couple years ago. Like if things go right and a team doesn't match up with us well, like the Knicks did in that series, or, you know, we match up against the Sixers and they just kind of struggle and they have their internal turmoil, maybe we can make conference finals. Maybe we can even make a finals. Um, I don't think anyone was betting on the Heat to make the finals in that bubble year. I don't think anyone was betting on them to be a shot away from the finals last year. I think, I think the Knicks, if they can get one more star that is, again, something in the vein of, like, C.J. McCollum. I, I don't... Because, again, C.J. cost one first-round pick, which didn't even end up translating. Um, I think they traded Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It, it certainly wasn't a big package. It wasn't much. And they got um, Larry Nance back in that deal, too. I mean, that's... It wasn't a heavy package. A lot of that is because you had to take on the salary of CJ, but that's fine. I mean, if you're the Knicks, you got to take on a bunch of salary. Like, pay him, dude. Who cares? Um, 
not everybody's going to be on an incredibly positive value deal. Some guys are just paid properly, like CJ is right now. Uh, the guy that I sort of noted, I don't think he's going to come available, but like if you can get Chris Middleton um, for a first-round pick and you send back you know, Fournier and Mitchell Robinson or whatever, um, I don't think that's very realistic, but that's the type of level of guy that I think you would want to go for. You know, a guy that's got a few more years left in him, but isn't necessarily 25 years old. You're not necessarily mortgaging the whole future to go get him. A guy that can come in and be the third best player on your team, but also just be a really positive influence. A guy that's been around winning, a guy that's just a really good professional. And then, hey, I mean, if you've got Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle has a bounce back year. You bring in Chris Middleton, and then you've still got guys like Quickly and Obi and Quentin Grimes. You know, again, the the Pelicans did not give up. They gave up Josh Hart as their main asset and that first round pick uh, to get CJ McCollum. You can give up Mitchell Robinson or Cam Rebish or even, I mean, Obi Toppin. I, I'm fine giving up Obi Toppin if you can get a guy like Chris Middleton, and that's a big step forward. Again, I don't think you're going to win the title. You don't have a guy like Zion on your team to be your alpha. Um, not, not even necessarily a Brandon Ingram. I don't know if RJ is going to ever get quite to that level, but I think that's. I think it's worth it. I think that would be a big deal. So I, I'd be interested to see. You know, maybe they will try to aim for the Shea level guy. Uh, maybe there's going to be. Maybe that's where Lamelo ends up in a couple of years. That actually, I think, makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's a rumor I would start if I was a clickbait journalist. A hundred percent. Uh, it's not even that unrealistic, I don't think. But, you know, I'd be more interested in seeing them get, like, a B-level star and just compete to be a home court playoff team and win a couple playoff series. Just, like, be good and reestablish the New York Knicks brand because I think the New York Knicks have been a laughing stock since, since Carmelo was there. And even, I mean, Car- Carmelo didn't necessarily bring glory to the Knicks franchise. You know, he had the, the one playoff win... Uh, the one playoff series win, but it's 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 not like that franchise has been basked in glory for the last 20, 30 years. So just bring back some respect to the Knicks franchise and make make your fan give your fans something to watch. You know, give your fans a, something to root for, and give yourself a chance if there's injuries and if stuff goes wrong for certain teams. Give you a chance to make the conference finals or even the finals. Like there's there's years where I mean. The finals team is not going to be again that Miami team or that I mean that Phoenix team was a dominant regular season team this last year. But I don't think going into the playoffs anyone was like, oh yeah, the Phoenix Suns, you know, that haven't been in the playoffs in the last ten years, they're going to make the finals. Nobody was thinking that. Nobody. Most people were picking to lose to the Lakers in the first round. So just give yourself a chance to be good, or get, make yourself good and give yourself a chance to be great if if things break your way. So. That's all I've got for the Knicks, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast here. I have talked way too much. I'm sure this is all unlistenable, but I had fun doing it. I'm going to put it out just because because I want to punish all of you out there and force you to listen to an hour and a half of my rambling. Uh, I know that's that's what everyone really wants, is to hear some dude talk about basketball for an hour and a half with nobody else talking. So, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, I'll definitely try to come back with the top nine teams in the East. This doesn't really break down perfectly, I guess, but I'm um, going to try to come back with my top few teams. Uh, going to put out this park one, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. This is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, basketball, baby. Let's go hoops. Hoop, hoop it up. All right. Thanks, y'all. Peace. Peace.